Hello and welcome to Self Made. I'm your host, Dee Brown, CEO. My next guest was raised in Friars Point, Mississippi. He received his associate's degree from Cahoma Junior College, his bachelor's of science degree from Alcorn State University, both of which are historically black colleges and universities. And he received his medical degree from the University of Iowa School of Medicine. Please welcome Ch Dr. Charles Barron to Self Made. Hey, hey thanks Charles, for I'm so me, glad man. to have you. Yes, absolutely, thank, man. Thank you, thanks. Look, you have had a uh, outstanding career in, in medicine. And so to set the stage for the uh, for the viewers, I'd like to start with you telling us a little bit about your, your background and where you grew up. Yeah, so um, again, thanks for having me. Oh, you're uh, welcome. So I grew up um, between Clarksdale and Friars Point, Mississippi, uh, down south. Um, and uh, as you said, you know, I attended Cahoma Community College in Alcorn State. Um, one of the unique things, though, is that I also uh, attended Cahoma Agriculture High School, which right. uh, Cahoma Agriculture High School was started, and then um, they added college classes and it developed into Cahoma Community College. So right. pretty much, I've been an HBCU <laughs> your whole life, <laughs> my whole life, you know. So, right. um, so that's the thing, and um, and so um, after leaving Cahoma and, and going to Alcorn, I did attend University of Iowa uh, College of Medicine, and. Um, you know, it was a great experience. The, the whole while, it was different. Yeah. Uh, going, transitioning from pr practically HBCUs all my life to uh, University of Iowa, um, Big Ten school. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was growth, and I think that the attendance of um, the HBCUs prepared me for life, prepared me uh, for adversity, prepared me for all the challenges that was coming for me. So. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you came from a, a rural Mississippi community. We're from the same area, actually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, while we did have some, uh, a handful of African-American doctors in the community, there, there weren't an abundance of them, right? So when did you first decide that you wanted to be a physician? So that's, a, you know, that's an interesting story, you know. Um, I've always done well in school. Um, my parents were educated, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was a given. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, when I left and uh, going to uh, Alcorn, I really was uh, intended to go to school to be um, a biology teacher and coach football. Okay. And by the time I graduated from um, Alcorn, you know, um, I had already had a job set up aligned at Greenwood High School. I was going to be an assistant football coach and I was going to be teaching biology. And, right. Um, but the unique thing about Alcorn is that... Um, when you're in the biology department, you have to take the MCAT. Okay. Um, and so, and then, and also during that time, which is, is, is so amazing, is that this was during a time where the air, air traffic controllers were um, um, boycotting or uh -huh. what have you. And so, all of us had to take the air traffic controller uh, <laughs> test. And so, this was what the school said hey, you guys, yeah. they were sponsoring it. You go take these tests, you know, you gotta right. do this, right? And so, um, so I had kind of two choices at that, you yeah. know, like, okay, well, three choices. And, um, you know, my, um, one of my professors came to me and he was like, I want you to take this envelope over to these people over in the union and have a conversation with them and um, then come back and tell me what you think, you know. And so me not knowing that this was kind of an impromptu um, interview for medical school. <laughs> so I get there and I have a conversation and I come back, you know, and tell them, you know, no, it went well, it went well. And maybe like six to eight weeks later, I received this uh, letter in the mail. Congratulations, you've been accepted to the University of Iowa Medical School. Oh, wow. And I'm like, this ain't number God. But then at the same, at the same time, it's like, I don't know if I, that's really what I'm trying to do. So I call home. 
talked to mom, mom, guess what? What's going on? I got accepted to medical school. But I don't know, what you mean y'all know? <laughs> what time you leave? Where you got to be there? Right. You know? And so, um, you know, so that's kind of how it really happened. You know, I had always done well, and um, I've had teachers to just really push me, and they saw something in me um, that I didn't really recognize at the time, and so they just kept pushing me, pushing me, yeah. saying, "Hey, you can do better. You can do these things." And, right. And um, again, that family. Um, culture at um, yeah. the HBCUs where they're recognizing things and they're putting you in position to succeed. Right. And it all just has worked out. Man, man that was divine intervention. You yeah, know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Wow. But then, you know, I always talk to my dad, you know, and I'd be like, man, y'all messed my life up. I could have been a coach like Nick Saban <laughs> or somebody making $8 million a year. You know, man, y'all ruined me. So, you know, <laughs> you know but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just really worked out well. So, so talk to me about uh, when you got to the University of Iowa, uh, what was it like there? What, what was your biggest challenge being there in medical school, far away from home, uh, in a part of the country that you probably had no familiarity with, right? Right, right. So, you know, I, I get off the plane at Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's cornfields and people who don't look like me. And I'm nervous, scared, whatever you want to call it. You know, just like, man, this is something. And so for probably about the first six weeks, because I was going into like a summer pre-matriculation program, um, and um, for probably like maybe six weeks, because all of the students were off for summer, yeah. I didn't see anybody that really looked like me except for the kids that came in for the pre-matriculation program. So again, I'm calling home like, Mom, <laughs> I can't do this. Right? I want to come back home. She hang up on me. You know? <laughs> so I got a lot of hang-ups, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, eventually, you know, I started. That was during a time when you had to put quarters in there to, to yeah, call, right, or call right, collect, right, too. Right, right, So they just right. not accepted when yeah, they know not accepted, not accepted. Yeah. But, but, yeah, so then um, over time, uh, you know, I started to fit in. And, um, and it was only 10 minority students in my class. And yeah. so we all, you know, we had our bond. But then you're talking about 150-plus other students. Um, and, um, you know, we, it, it was just... Very challenging, yeah. And and then it was, you know it was an adjustment, you know, being away from home, you know, not being able to to really do the things that you're accustomed to doing, yeah. And um, and then too, medical school is a big thing, you right. know. And um, right. you know, you get in there and coming from HBCU, used to going to the parties and yeah. crash studying late at night, then going and take the test. No, it wasn't like that, right? <laughs> you had to be so, serious. Yeah, yeah. So it was a rude awakening, you know. But you know, I was I was ready for the challenge. It's just that I had to settle down. And get focused, but um, yeah. Do you feel like um, you were prepared, though? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I was prepared. prepared. I mean, yeah. from an educational standpoint, um, going to Oklahoma um, gave me a great foundation. Yeah. You know, because it's a small, intimate environment, and you're making sure that you're getting what you need. And then we're going to Alcorn, just you know, really uh, heightened that. And uh, so, from an educational standpoint. Um, I was definitely prepared for it. Yeah. Um, I just had to, you know, just make some adjustments um, and just really get focused and, and learn how to study, you know, differently. Right. Right. Um, you know, when, you know, you're going to college and you, know, you go in and they're teaching what you want. But in, in medical school, it's like you get this big book. Right. And be like, I see you in six weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, test, you know? <laughs> so it's like, all right. So you got to, you know, develop a, you know, a little bit better study habits and, yeah. and, and really be focused and, um, you know. And, and learn the stuff, you know. And, it's a, it, and it was a thing of endurance, you know, because everybody there is, are A students, you know, yeah. in medical school or graduate school. Right. So now it's about who can really finish the job. Can right. you finish the right. job? And um, so, you know. Uh, what did, what did you find the most challenging aspect of it, though? 
Well, um, from from medical school or just the environment? Just the, just the, uh, the educational piece, you mm -hmm. know, the rigor of the of the actual program. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was just the volume. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to try to digest at, at one time. You yeah. know, um, and they always make the analogy of standing in front of a, a fire hose. You know, and they shoot more at you. You right, know, and right. and that's you know really how, how it was and. Um, and, 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 you know, and we're just by nature, I think we, we want to be able to socialize and have that social environment right. as well. And that was a component that, you know, you didn't really have. You really didn't have that portion. Right. right. Yeah. And so you had to, you know, dig deep inside to, to push yourself. And I mean, it was 10 of us and we really had a pretty good bond, you know. So did y'all, so each you other. as a cohort, we started and finished the program yeah, yeah, together? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Did you, uh, so was that the most challenging component of that whole program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just think that the volume of the information and making that adjustment, you know, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So uh, talk to me about your just influential people in your life. Who influenced you to really want to just be successful? Was, yeah. was there family or people in the community that you looked up to? Well, I mean, of course it was my mom. My mom was my rock. I mean, it was just me and her, you know. Um, and uh, so she really pushed me. She really motivated me. She was really my confidant. That was like my best friend. Yeah. But then, of course, I had teachers, uh, Willie B. Smith from Friars Point Elementary and Dr. Jerome Shaw. It was just a lot at, at Kahoma. Yeah. You know, it was just a lot of different people that's poured into, into me, you know. Right. And again, you know, it goes back to that, you know, where it takes a community to raise a kid. And, and back then, it was like, you know, everybody was your parent. People, right. adults, felt comfortable reprimanding you or getting on you if they saw you out doing the wrong thing. So it was so many people. And initially, I grew up in a, a campus environment. So, yeah. So all the parents on campus, you know, looked out for you or got on your butt or made, right. you know, and then, you know, you get in trouble, you know, you got got to go through the gauntlet <laughs> before you get home. By the time you get home, you didn't need right. you didn't need any more discipline. Everybody else got had gotten hold to you. But so um, so yeah, it was just a lot of different people that really uh, poured into me, and um, and and it's just a, a, a blessing, man. Yeah, it's just a blessing. Now, so you were named the uh, chief medical officer at Martha's uh, Aunt Martha's Health and Wellness. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to me about that position and the services you all provide. Yeah, so. Um, our Martha's has been around for about 50 years or so, and I think this year we're supposed to have our 50th anniversary. And um, it started off as a social service organization, and Aunt Martha's name came from, um, you know, everybody had an auntie that they went to visit and they, you know, confided in or yeah. what have you. And so that was kind of the concept that uh, Aunt Martha was built on um, when it was social service. And then eventually they went into uh, behavioral health and then primary care. Um, so currently, we have 26 health centers throughout the state of Illinois, uh, ranging from Rockford. Uh, we're actually starting a um, health center in Peoria, Danville. It's all throughout the um, uh, state of Illinois. Yeah. Um, we um, service about um, 70 to 75,000 um, patients, and uh, we call them unique patients, yeah. so these are patients. But we have probably close to 180 visits, 80,000 visits a year. Uh, we also have, uh, we also, as a fairly qualified health center, uh, we are the only licensed fairly qualified health center um, uh, for DCFS in the state of Illinois. So we work very closely with DCFS in um, servicing youth and care. 
So we have a center in Chicago where we house about 30 of the uh, most complex patients or uh, youth in care uh -huh. in the state of Illinois. And we provide wraparound comprehensive services uh, for them. So it's an integrated model where we provide primary care, we provide therapy, psychiatric um, care if needed, yeah. um, we have care coordinators. So we really wrap ourselves around these, patients, uh, these youth to make sure that they're getting what they need. Uh, yeah. How has the pandemic impacted the business though? I mean, what has been the impact of the pandemic on you all? Well, um, you know, honestly, it, it really didn't um, impact us in, in, in terms of how we saw, saw patients and things of that nature, because we had been doing telehealth, uh, telepsychiatry for maybe 12, 13 years already. Okay. So we just, it was an easy transition for us to transition to that. Um, but I, I think that one of the, the big things, though, is that the behavioral health component became bigger in, uh, in terms of people were going through things, experiencing things that they had never experienced before. Right, right. And you're talking about, you know, families having to actually spend time together. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And then you realize, wow, you know, this is my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, and so it, it just really, so those things impacted everything. You know, the right. kids aren't in school, you know, people weren't going to work or maybe even lost their jobs or what have you. So it's just a lot of different things from an emotional standpoint that we had to recognize. And so that is a component of, especially in the African-American community, where we don't really address behavioral health and mental health. Right, there's you know. a stigma right. associated with uh, mental, yeah. mental illness, uh, particularly in the African-American uh, community, right, right. where uh, they feel like medications or um, going to a psychiatrist put a put this stigma on you, and so they, they, it goes untreated largely. Right, right, and they right. end up being dealt with in the criminal justice system uh, primarily yeah, in, yeah. in those communities. So mm -hmm, yeah, I understand mm -hmm. exactly what, you, yeah. what you're referring so, to. So we had to really address that, and, and especially males. Yeah, African-American males, we don't talk about what we're going through. We don't talk about our stress. We don't talk about those things. And so this is the, the type of outreach that we had to do and really try to make it make people comfortable coming in and having these discussions yeah. because we know it's, it's happening. It was happening for all of us. Right, you know? right. So what do you, um, if you had to give advice to a young person that's considering uh, going into the uh, medical field, what advice would you give them? No, I, I mean, I think that it's, First of all, I would just say whatever field you're going into, just make sure you're following your passion. Yeah. You know, and that is going to be the motivation to help you get through whatever it is or adversities that you may have to uh, you, uh, come across. Um, and uh, just believe in yourself. Just believe that you can do it. You know, because, again, like I said earlier, um, you know, you have enough resources now to make sure that you're equipped from an educational standpoint. Now it's about endurance. Now it's about just really having that drive and that fight right. and finishing it. Right. And finishing it. Right. And, um, you know, and if there are situations or things that you, you, we have to be able to find those resources for support. Yeah. And, um, and then us as the African-American providers that are out here, we have to be able to reach down and pull people up. Absolutely. And uh, be available, yeah. you know, let's be available to these youth who need our support, who's going, who wants uh, to follow in our footsteps, who right. admire us and look up to us. But we can't be so caught up in ourselves that we don't reach down and pull them up. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, mentorships and mm -hmm. sponsorships are critical uh, to uh, giving our young people uh, an even playing field because, 
you know, when you when you're especially coming out of a, um, a household, a household where you're first generation, you know, college student, or you know, you, you're kind of charting your own own course. You may not have the resources immediately around you that mm -hmm. can assist you with getting from point A to point B. So, mm -hmm. you know, people like you and you know myself and others who have uh, made a commitment to giving people a hand up and not a hand out mm -hmm. uh, is critical to their success. Um, I want to ask you, from the standpoint of your legacy, mm -hmm. uh, what would you like for your legacy to be? You know, I, I want my, my legacy to be, when someone mentions Dr. Charles Barron, is that he gave back to the community. He was committed to the community. And, um, you know, he was there. He made himself available um, and he was committed. You know, I, I, again, with the credentials I have, you know, I could be working anywhere. But I, cho I have chosen to stay in the community. I have chosen to fight for um, <clears throat> equitable health care. You know, and, and, and I use this term, equi um, we want results. Equity is opportunity, yeah. but we want equitable outcomes. We want results. We want to make sure that people are getting the health care that they need and we're seeing the results of it. You know, it's not just okay to put a clinic in the community. Yeah. Are they good doctors? Are they doctors that look like that community? Are they um, nurse practitioners or whoever? Can they relate? Are they committed to the population that we're serving in this community? Right. And are they getting better? You know, I mean, you know, so we don't want just, you know, this token thing where we put, oh, you got a good school in your community. Well, you have a school in your community, but is it a good school? Is it um, equal to what's in the other neighborhoods? Right. Are we right. putting the resources? Right. So that's, that's, that's my thing, man, is that I want to be that advocate. I want to be that voice where we are promoting equitable outcomes. Yep. So I want to ask you about something. I, I, anytime I get an opportunity to do this, I, I love doing this on my show. So, uh, you know, of course, we're frat brothers. And so you're right. a member of Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And, you know, uh, fraternities play a critical role in our social and professional lives. And so I just want to ask you, uh, how has being a member of this noble clan uh, impacted you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that I would say that uh, being a member of Kappa Alpha Psi really has impacted me a lot. Um, you know, we don't play as the same these days as we did back in yeah. my day, but the thought of I can, I will has always resonated in me, and that's what, you know, one of our pledging mantras was, I can, I will. No matter yeah. what the adversity is, no matter what is put in front of me, I can do it. Right. Or I'm going to give effort. At least give effort. Give it your best, your all. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? And so that has always stuck with me. And just to see that the brothers that have come through um, our fraternity and represented it well, you know, and have not ever hesitated to reach back and give back and to be involved in the things that you are doing, man, is phenomenal. Thank you. And, um, you know, and, and we really appreciate it. And it inspired and it should be inspired not only to me, but to all of us. Right. To keep achieving and to keep making this thing happen, making the world better. Absolutely. Now you have, uh, you've done so much, man. You've accomplished a lot. Uh, still young, you know. Uh, what's on the horizon? What, what, what do you see in your future? You know, I mean, right now it's just, you know, I got a beautiful wife and two young kids and I just want to make sure that they're comfortable and okay and make sure that I, I'm, I'm there and available for my kids. Yeah. 
And, um, and then beyond that, man, um, I just want to keep advocating for those uh, in the underserved populations. Right. And I just want to keep uplifting our communities, being a part and being someone that, that you can see. Right. You know, a lot of times people talking that noise and, and, and everything, but they're invisible. Yeah. But not only, I want to be seen and I want you to see my work. Right. And I want you to feel my work and my work to be impactful. Right. And so what does that mean? I, honestly, I, I don't know. I know that I want, you know, when I first started in medicine, I was working in the health center. And I was able to impact the patients that came into my health center. Yeah. And so that wasn't enough. So then I became a regional medical director. And so now I'm impacting a region of people. Right. And now that I'm the chief medical officer, I'm impacting even a larger. Yeah. So whatever that next step is on a national level or whatever. Right. But I want to be able to stay grounded and, and commit to the communities of underserved right. um, on a larger scale. You know, if you look at statistics, um, the demographics of individuals from underserved communities, lower income, impoverished communities, uh, play a significant role in terms of their access to quality health care. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things that we are doing, uh, you know, through my business, we're, you know, we're delivering health care facilities that are serving uh, those communities uh, and, and giving them a better quality of life. But how do you think the lack of health care or the lack of access to health care uh, is really impacting the, the members of those communities? Yeah. So, I mean, it, the lack of health care, I mean, it's like, so if we're not taking care of those who are taking care of our most vulnerable, which are our kids, yeah. you know, so the fathers, they have to be healthy to go to work and moms who go to work, single moms, single parents. You have to be healthy in order to provide for your families. Right. You know. Then at the same time, the kids have to be healthy in order when they go to school to be educated. Right. You know, so we need to make sure that we're taking care of them. They're in condition enough to receive whatever they need to receive from right. an educational standpoint, from going to work, being there for their families. And I mean, it's again, it's a um, psychosocial component of it and, and, and all of that. Right. You know, um, and so it starts with health care. Well, you know, I'm kind of conflicted. It's between education and healthcare. Which comes first, chicken or the egg, or yeah. which one? You know what I'm saying? Right. But those are the things. You know, the health and education are the key components of building a strong community, in my opinion. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because I think, to a large extent, especially in um, poor communities, people don't know how to properly take care of themselves. They right. don't know what to eat, dietary, you know, right. dietary restrictions. Uh, what's good for them, what's not. But I want to talk to you about uh, an article that I read. And it, was re it actually re was referring to uh, an incident that occurred or a doctor that was working in Cleveland, Mississippi. And he was talking about how in the Mississippi Delta, the amputation rate for diabetic uh, people of color was significantly higher mm -hmm. than, th than their counterparts who were uh, not African-American or minority. And, and, and they went on to say that uh, one of the reasons that that existed was because it was more profitable to amputate uh, those individuals than to t take the measures to save those limbs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the doctor talked about uh, how he had attempted, he came from another area, was seeing patients, and they, were, they had the patients on a list to be amputated, and he saw that they could be treated and that the limbs could be saved, but the hospital refused mm -hmm. uh, to provide them with the tools and the um, 
the other uh, professionals to make that happen. Do, do you think that there's still uh, bias, biases like that in healthcare? So, I mean, I'm not familiar with the article. Um, and are there biases in healthcare? Just that general statement? Absolutely. You know, I mean, um, when we look at the the pandemic, and we were seeing people with comorbidities or other medical problems, yeah, were dying or were getting sicker. Well, we look at it as this was a pandemic issue, but it wasn't a it pandemic just heightened what was already there. Well, we know that certain communities were not receiving the type of healthcare that they should be receiving. And it goes back to, again, uh, equitable outcomes. Just because you have a health center in the community doesn't mean that that, commu that health center is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. And so then we gotta look at preventive medicine as well. So how are we preventing these people from getting to the point where they need amputations? Right. You, you, know, right. you know what I'm Absolutely. saying? So I think it would be cheaper to educate and provide these resources and put us put good um, grocery stores and and, and, and uh, healthy workout, food options, healthy, healthy yeah. food options and, and workout centers and things of that nature in the communities versus waiting to the end. Now we have to make a decision, a tough decision. Right. You know, so I can't I'm not, you know, getting into the hospital politics of making money. I'm not doing that. Yep. But just to say that, hey, let's prevent, let's do everything, put good health centers, quality health centers hold them accountable, look at their outcomes, and, and then now we're preventing the, these patients right, from getting that to situation. that point. Yeah. Man, that is uh, some very uh, valuable information. And uh, Charles, man, I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank it's been great having you. You're a great success story. Thank you, thank you for being here. And to my viewers, thank you for watching. Without you, there's no me.